Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas to you. How are you? Good? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Jeff. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here, which would, would mean I'm somewhat culpable for all of the therapy that those children are going to need. I'm going to call Ben and Brittany later and say, dude, I'll pony up for some of that therapy later. It's going to be awesome. Um, it's so great to see all of you. I'm glad that you've come. I'm glad that you're inviting friends. And this Christmas season is going to be uh, wonderful as we move into this idea um, of remembering the gift that God has given us through Jesus. Um, but I want to I start with this tension that we felt with Isaiah, Brooks, and Liam as they're waiting for this gift that has been given to them, but they're not allowed to open it yet, right? As Brooks says, not yet, not yet. And the tension and the frustration and the irritation that they're all feeling is... is um, Palpable, isn't it? Can you sense it? You feel it. And, and I know that tension. We all know that tension is there. If someone gives you something and you can't open it, right? Because everyone knows this, that the gift is only received. It's only good for you after it's been opened, right? That the gift only matters to you if it's been unwrapped. And some would say, but wait a minute, Jeff, isn't, isn't the, the thought behind the gift all that matters? You know, there's that common sensibility out there that it's just, it's just the thought that counts. And I, I would tell those people who think that, no, you're completely wrong in that. Well, not completely. I would say you're partially wrong because I do think the thought does matter. But it's not, it's not everything. I want you to consider this idea that if someone was, was to give you a gift, there's something significant in that, that this person, whoever this person is, has, has thought of you and has bought something for you. Not, not anything, they've bought something for you and they want to give it specifically to you. Not to your neighbor, not to your spouse or your cousin or, or one of your own kids, but they, they've bought something and they specifically want to give it to you. And until you unwrap it, until you receive that gift, you haven't received it at all, have you? Or at least you haven't received the very thing that they want you to have. If it sat unwrapped underneath your tree, if it sat unwrapped on your desk, um, then the intention behind it has never been fully consummated. The gift process hasn't been finished yet. And that's the point. The, the, the bad thing about all of this is that the person who gives you the gift will go unappreciated. I mean, you'll say, thanks, bro, appreciate that, whatever. But you can't really appreciate them in, in a full way until you understand what they've given you, right? The gift itself will go unappreciated until it's been unwrapped and opened. And then, and probably most important in all of this gift transaction idea is that the gift will go unused. It'll just sit there collecting dust, batteries or whatever's inside of it are going to go dead and it's just going to, to lay there. 
Now, as we, as we delve into this Christmas season, right, as we're into December now, many of you have already decorated for Christmas. Hallelujah. You're an overachiever. It's wonderful. Glad you've come and all that. You've been listening to Christmas music since before Thanksgiving. I'm one of those people too. I get it. I love all that stuff. But uh, many of us in the room would agree that this season is more than just about holiday cheer and gifts being given back and forth. But there's a significant moment that we're trying to mark with this holiday. And it's this, is that it's that we're going to remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus, the birth of our Lord and Savior, for those of us who would call us Christians, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what I want to do as we just get started is to make us understand a couple things. First off is that, that Jesus, hear me, he is a gift, that he is a gift that has been given to us by God the Father. In fact, you could have no church background, no Bible background. You could just watch college or professional football and see John chapter 3, verse 16. Someone behind the goalpost is holding up this sign, right? And if you've ever decided to look that up in the Bible, you would read these words. That God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son. Thank you. Yes, he gave us something. The gift is in fact Jesus. That's the gift that God the Father has for us. And like every other gift that we've ever been given to fully appreciate it, to fully receive it, to accept it from God, then, then that gift too, Jesus too, must be unwrapped or uncovered or uncloaked or, or whatever language we want to use. And in fact, it's that language unwrapped um, that I saw as I was studying and preparing for this Christmas series, um, which is why I wanted to call this whole series Unwrapped. See, my desire and what I've been praying for yet even this morning is that many of you would see the Christmas season and see this Christmas story about Jesus, a baby in a manger, and little figurines, and all kinds of shepherds, and, and all that talk, that we would actually see that God has given us something. In fact, God has given us someone, and I want us to see that. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this, that, that every gift that, that, is, that is transferring hands over the next few weeks as we get into this season... I want you to see it. It's a, it's a symbol. It's a reminder of the gift that God has given us through his son, Jesus. I prayed that for you. Like, as you give gifts to your neighbors, as you give gifts to your pastor. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just saying. Anyways, <laughs> but as, as you give gifts, may it be a constant reminder of what God has done for us. He's lovingly given us a gift. So that's my prayer for us. We have a lot of work to do today in the next few weeks. And um, so I just would ask, would you, would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray for us and ask God to help us understand this and to receive fully the gift that is Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for our time together. Um, we thank you that we would take some time out of our uh, busy Christmas holiday uh, schedule and to come here. Uh, thank you that we can come together, that we can open the Holy Bible, we can open the scriptures, and we can study, and we can learn. And, and God, we thank you that you have given us Jesus as a gift. And, and for those of us in the room who have received him as our Savior, God, we thank you for that. And, and Jesus, we thank you that you too is, have also given us a gift in the Holy Spirit, that you have given us the very presence of God to indwell among us and to be within us, to guide us and lead us. And, and it is to you, Holy Spirit, that I pray that you would have a work um, and that you would have a way in our lives today, that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and ears to, to hear and to see everything that you have for us.
Lord, we, we thank you um, for everything that you've done for us. And honestly, Lord, uh, we are undeserved of it. So um, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 One of the great things about receiving um, gifts from people is, is that you, you begin to learn something about the giver. By that, I mean this, is that when someone uh, buys something for you, we, we learn a couple things. Number one, that this person has been thinking about you ahead of time. That they didn't just grab something in the room, uh, wrap it up and say, oh, here, this is for you. But ahead of time, when they were at the mall or somewhere, uh, anybody ever get um, gifts from gas stations as people are traveling, traveling the world? That's a weird thing, but I've got trucker hats from friends and stuff, right? But here's the thing is like when, when, they, when they give you a gift, it, they're informing you of something that they've, they've been thinking of you, that they've been mindful of you, that at some point they decided it was a good idea for them to take cash out of their wallet and buy you something. And they did this ahead of time. When someone gives you a gift, they're telling you that you matter to me. You mean something. Of all the people I could have been thinking about, of all the things I could have been thinking about, you're the one who, who was in my mind at that time. And, and, and what I love about this idea of when, when God has given us his son, Jesus, it, it makes us think that out of the wellspring of his love and care and kindness towards us, that he would be so kind to give us Jesus, that he was thinking of us. And, it's, and the other thing we learn about someone who gives us a gift is, is they oftentimes give you something that, you, that they think that you need, right? Uh, when I was first married, Many years ago, I used to tell people who ever visited my house, um, if you see anything nice in my house, um, it was a gift to us, right? Because I can't afford anything, right? I, I had no money, young, married, you know how it is. And I used to say that. And so people, when they give you things, they're thinking about you and they're giving you something that you need. Uh, one of my favorite memories of my my dad's mom, so be my, my grandmother, um, when, when I was younger, is at, at Christmas Eve, when we would celebrate Christmas with the family, I, I always seemed to get the same gift, uh, the same gift from her. Um, as a young boy, I always seemed to open up a, a package of three um, Hanes underwear. I don't know what it was. You know what I mean? Does anybody have that one person who just buys you socks or underwear? Right? Well, you need them. You guys know young boys need new underwear. Is that right? <laughs> and you know why, right? <laughs> It's because we're growing. I, what are you guys thinking about? I, that's kind of gross, honestly. But I could always count on it. And looking back, honestly, I bet it was like my parents giving this gift to my grandma and say, here, you can just give this to Jeff because she probably didn't have anything for me. I don't know. I don't, I don't care. I don't need to know. I just remember that, that there's this need that I had that someone would give me underwear, which is awesome. And, and when we think about this giver giving us something, they're thinking about you and they're giving something that you need. And the same is true when we think about God giving us Jesus. As I've already stated, that we were on his mind, that he wanted us to have something, and not just anything. He wanted us to have something that we couldn't get on our own. Did you know this, that the, the name Jesus means the Lord saves? Did you know that? The Lord saves. What God is giving to us, at, and what we celebrate every Christmas, is this idea that God is giving us the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus. And, and some would argue, or some might even ask, well, saved from what? 
Like, what, what is it exactly that we need saved from? And, and this is the most hot topic at Christmas time, but I'll tell you what it is it's sin. I mean, no one wants to talk about that at Christmas time. In fact, I think that's one of the dangers, in, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here about the commercialism that is the Christmas season, but we can lose sight of the fact that God has sent Jesus to save us from something, not just anything, but he sent Jesus to save us from sin. And he does so in a miraculous and profound way. If you know a little bit of Bible history, you know that um, way back in the Garden of Eden, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created this beautiful wonderful place that we call the Garden of Eden. And he places a guy and a girl in there, Adam and Eve. You've heard of them, right? And in, in this place, God gives them instructions and he says, frolic, my words, not his, but he says, have fun in the garden, do whatever you want. You can enjoy this whole thing and I'll be here with you. But there's just one restriction. God puts this little restriction before them. And he says, there's this one tree that I, I forbid you to eat from. You can eat from anything else. Everything will be food for you except for this one tree. Some might argue, well, then why even put the tree in there? Great question. We'll talk about that at another time. But just know this, that there was a, a rule to be followed. And to have perfect communion with God, it means that you follow that one and only rule. Well, over time, there's a, a creature. The Bible calls him Satan. Satan slithers, is how I see it, up to Adam and Eve. And with cunning and crafty words, he causes them to disbelieve that God is good. He causes them to disbelieve that, or to believe rather that God is holding something back from them, that, that God doesn't have their best interest in mind, that he, he is holding something back for them. And if only they would eat from this one tree, then they too would be like a God and be, and have full understanding and everything. And so this serpent, this, this character, this creature, Satan comes in and deceives them. And in this moment that they disobey God and eat from this one tree, a cancer, a plague began to spread on the earth. And it's this thing called sin. In fact, God has gone so far to warn them, Adam and Eve. He says, listen, you can eat from any tree you want, but do not eat from this tree because if, if you eat from this tree, then you will what? You will surely die, he says. And I don't know if you know this, but sin, when it's matured, causes death. In fact, all of the death that we see in the world today is an exhaust or a maturity of sin, that this world is living in a broken and sinful way. And so God knows this. He sees the, in, in his great forethought of what's going to take place, he immediately steps into this brokenness that has taken, that has transpired in the garden. Adam and Eve, you've sinned against me. And God steps into this and he begins to declare some things. He begins to promise some things. He speaks to Adam, he speaks to Eve. And then I love what he does in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, is he begins to speak to the devil. He begins to speak to Satan. And I wanna read a couple, uh, this one verse for us here today and, and look at what he's done. As he speaks to the devil, he says, because you have done this, he says in verse 15, I will now put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says this peculiar thing about her offspring. He says, he is going to bruise your head, Satan, and you are going to bruise his heel. Now, this is a profound promise. In fact, this is the first promise that we see that God is going to send a savior, but it's sort of symbolic and cryptic. There's some strange things happening in here. People are getting stepped on. We don't know. So let me just point out a couple things that we must understand. 
is number one, because Satan has done this, because he has deceived mankind, he is saying there's now going to be hostility between mankind and the devil forever. That the devil would then, from that point forward, all he would seek to do is cause destruction on the earth. Would you say the devil causes destruction on the earth? Yeah, of course. That's his one desire. But he says something else. He says, there's going to come someone to save you. And and who is this person? It's just a he. And he will come and he will bruise your head, which is a picture of a mortal wound that will be struck against Satan himself. That this person, this he that is to come, the promised one that will come, will destroy the works of the devil and the devil himself. But while this happens, then you will strike at his heel, which means that the person who is to come will also suffer because of this. And then lastly, we'll leave this here in this great promise that God gives about the gift that is the Savior that is to come. He says this, that it will come from the offspring of a woman, which is significant because most people would say that the offspring would come from a man because most cultures back then were patriarchal and they would, they would follow the lineage through men only. And God does this beautiful thing. He says, no, no, this will be significant and you'll know that it's me who's doing it because I'm gonna change the way this looks. It's gonna come through a woman. It'll come through Eve. Now it doesn't come through Eve personally. It comes through some of Eve's descendants. And so the promise has been laid out for mankind that sin has entered the world through disobedience, but God is going to save the world through one who is to come. And yet the world waited and waited and waited for thousands of years. The hanging promise of God himself is, 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 is pregnant, just hanging in, in the ethos, if you will. And, and here, uh, some thousands of years later, there's a man named Isaiah. And through this man, Isaiah, God begins to speak the promise again. And Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she, the virgin, will call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is kind of crazy. I don't know if you guys were paying attention in health class in the eighth grade, but virgins don't give birth, okay? I'm just saying. I figured that one out a long time ago. And again, God is doing something significant. He's placing a marker on this moment so that mankind, so that the world herself will not miss the significance of this moment. A virgin will give birth to a son, not any kid, not a female, a son. And this son will be called Emmanuel or God with us. This son is the promise that was promised by God back in the garden. And as Isaiah begins to declare these things to the people of God, you can feel hope and tension arising again. The gift has been put on the table. Yes, we want the gift, but the gift still hadn't come. And so the world waited and waited and waited. And for hundreds of years, 1,600 years or so, after Isaiah breathed those promises back into the world, a A miracle took place, a virgin, her name was Mary, many of you have heard of her, a virgin conceives, and a virgin gives birth to what? A son, and what does she call him? Emmanuel. In this, and this is the worst metaphor, but it's all I can come up with, in the cosmic chess game that God seems to be playing, 
with the devil here as the devil is moving piece after piece after piece on the board, causing havoc to reign upon the earth. God steps up to the board and pushes one piece forward and the, the heavens lean in, the stars, the sun, the moon, earth herself, the angelic beings, they all lean in when God makes this one move and silence hits them all. They are, they are ushered into this moment of quiet and in this silent night, a baby was born. In this one move. I love how Matthew's gospel tells the story that, that they're, uh, um, Mary and Joseph are pledged to be married and he doesn't want to marry his wife now because she somehow um, got pregnant, right? Virgins don't get pregnant is his thinking. I think he's right in thinking that. And so God sends an angel to him and says, no, 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 this is not some, some uh, infidelity here, bro. This is me doing something. And he hearkens back to the moment of Isaiah and he hearkens all the way back to the garden where God had promised something. This is significant, he says. I love when you read in the gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, um, my favorite is probably Luke's gospel. If you are familiar with Luke's gospel, he has probably the greatest telling of this Christmas story or the birth of Jesus. In fact, if you watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, anyone, right? Am I dating myself now? Okay, all the old people are like, heck yeah. And all the young people are like, who's Charlie Brown? I hate you right now, I'm just saying. I don't, I'll say it out loud, I don't care. So, but. But there's this moment where Linus sort of recites the Christmas story. He's reading out of Luke chapter two. So if you get a moment in the next few weeks, open your Bible or go on the internet and read Luke chapter two, verses one through 20. And it tells this story. And, and what I, I love about Luke is that Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12 chosen. Did you know that? I didn't know that when I first became a Christian. I just assumed everybody who wrote stuff that's in the Bible was one of Jesus' followers. Luke was not one of Jesus' followers. In fact, Luke became a Christian much later in his life when somebody else told him the truth about Jesus. And I love that story because it's much like my story. It's maybe much like your story. Someone told you the story of Jesus and through faith you began to believe too. And that is the story of Luke. And Luke is also this tremendous historian. He has this great way of paying attention to details and, and what he desires to do because he'd, he'd heard the story of Jesus and believed it is now his desire that others would hear the story of Jesus and believe too. So he sets it upon himself to write an orderly account of Jesus' life. And he starts in the beginning. There's a virgin who conceives and gives birth to a son. And, and I love this. And in this moment, there's a picture of, of shepherds uh, tending their sheep on the side of a hill, if you will. And in the, in, in the middle of this moment, angels from heaven break forth and, and declare things. They say, uh, uh, there is good news and of great joy for unto this day, a savior has been born. And he tells the shepherds, and if you don't believe me, go see it for yourself. He says, there's a man and a woman, Mary and Joseph, they've come down to Bethlehem. And if you look in that stable, you'll go inside and you'll find a baby. And look exactly, look, I want to read these words because this is important. In Luke chapter two, verse 12, he says, this is the sign. This is the angels. This is the sign that the shepherds would find. He says, for unto you this day a born, uh, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Here we go. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. There's our Lord and Savior wrapped. Now you could continue to read the gospel of Luke and you could probably do so in an hour, hour and a half if you'd give yourself over to it. And at the end of the gospel, Luke also finishes with this. After Jesus had been crucified on a cross, that his broken and dead body is hanging there, a man named Joseph, not his father Joseph, a different Joseph. Joseph comes before the, the leaders there and says, listen, I want to take the Lord's body down from the cross. Can I have permission to do so? The guy says, yes. And so this is what Luke records for us at the end of Jesus' life. Listen to this. Uh, chapter 23, verse 53. Then Joseph took it, the body down, and he wrapped it in linen. He wrapped the body of Jesus in linen and laid him in a tomb. Now, this is, this is where my mind starts to go all kinds of fun places because here's Luke recording for us the story of Jesus, the very Jesus that he believes in and wants other people to, to believe in. And of all of the things that have transpired in Jesus' life, he could have listed any of them. In fact, there are so many things that Jesus has done that no books could contain all of his great works, right? We know that. But of, of, of these significant things that take place, Luke makes sure that we see something, bookending the beginning of his life and the end, that Jesus was wrapped in something. In the manger, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and at the end of his life, he's wrapped in grave clothes. Jesus, may I remind you, is a gift given to us from God the Father. And like every gift, it will not matter to us until he's been unwrapped. And what do I mean by that? That Luke goes through after the baby is born in, in this manger scene, that he begins to do something for us. He unwraps Jesus the baby and we watch him mature in his life. If Luke had left the baby in a manger, then this wouldn't mean anything to us, but he doesn't. He unwraps Jesus and then he, we see him in his 30s begin to travel throughout the countryside telling people, anyone, anyone who would listen about the kingdom of God that is to come. He began to give them a new ethics, a new morality that it's no longer about just serving God through legalism, that there's a, there's a transformation that God is making available to you. That you learn to love God and love others, and he can, he can only do these things. He can usher in a new covenant or a new contract with God that's not bound on rules, but bound on the forgiveness of sins that is in himself alone. And if Luke had left him in that manger wrapped up, we never would have seen this. And Jesus began to declare these things of God and he began to perform miracles, which is, in my estimation, just an authentication process that God was saying, pay attention to him. You ever been with anyone who healed a blind person? It's profound. You ever been with someone who, who raised someone else's from the dead? You stay close to that person. You ever, you ever been with someone who, who um, has, has caused a lame man, a person who's never walked in all of his life, to walk and leap with joy? People are paying attention now to what Jesus is doing, and God is authenticating everything that he's done through miracles and through signs and through wonders. And the story of Jesus' miraculous birth begins to spread, too. In fact, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they even start mocking Jesus because of this. They would say things to him like, well, at least we know who our dad is. See, Jesus' dad is the Holy Spirit. Jesus' dad is, is not Joseph. Joseph would never take credit for that thing, would you? <laughs> right? 
And so all of this happens. And for the next three and a half years of Jesus' life, Luke is recording all of these wonderful things that take place. In fact, he even records Jesus being abused and persecuted and punished. Now, here's the crazy thing. Jesus had no reason to be punished. The Bible tells us quickly that Jesus has never sinned. And if we talked earlier that sin results in death, then Jesus should not die. Jesus has never sinned. But for some reason, Jesus is being punished. Jesus is being beaten. Jesus is being spit upon. Jesus is being cursed. And he's taking upon himself the punishment of sin. But of, but of whose sin? Our sin. I mean, I hate to point people out, but your sin, I love you, (laughs) kind of, your sin, your sin, my sin, all of our sin. And, And Jesus is hanged on a cross, a Roman crucifixion cross, an execution device where he breathes his last. And in so doing, he says, it is finished. The promise from the garden is fulfilled now. The promise from Isaiah has been fulfilled. A savior has come. And we never would see it if if Luke had left him wrapped in that manger. In fact, there's this really great moment at the after Joseph of Arimathea takes the body down and puts him in a grave, wraps him up in grave clothes, that, that Luke doesn't even let the story in there either. Because many of you might know the story. On the third day, what happens? The people go back to the tomb. They open the door and stick their head in, which I think is pretty brave. I don't know about you, but I don't even open the refrigerator if there's old meatloaf in there. I'm just saying. (laughs) Too far? I don't know. I'm just saying. Like Peter, John's gospel tells us that Peter runs to the grave and dives in. My words. But he just jumps in head first and notices what? That the grave clothes are lying on the ground. And Luke needs us to understand that if Jesus was to come and to die and be wrapped in grave clothes, then that gift, that Savior, that gift of the Savior means nothing to us. See, Jesus must overcome death. He must deal a death blow to Satan to sin, death, and the grave. And when he's unwrapped, do we finally ever fully see him for what he is, the one who's overcome those things? Do you see this? And Luke doesn't have to give us these details in the, ba- in the morning, in the beginning rather. There's a baby, he's wrapped up and then he unwraps him. And at the end of his life, he's wrapped up and then Luke unwraps him because it's only in that do we fully receive who Jesus is. And it's only in that do we get to appreciate the gift that the father has given to us. It's only in that do we get to appreciate the gift himself. And it's only in all of that do we get to use the gift that God has given us. Do you see this? I pray you see it. Please see it. Luke's gospel continues. He, um, Jesus has been um, raised from the dead. Um, Paul, the apostle, can, would, would go on to write in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think, that if, if God himself, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, this belief in Jesus, that our faith is futile, that we are still in sin, right? So God hasn't beaten sin through Jesus. And of, above all beings on the earth, we should be pitied, <laughs> which I kind of agree with, honestly, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. But he has. And it's this story we need to understand. So after the resurrection of Jesus, he spends this moment. It's a really obscure moment. It's at the end of Luke's gospel. He's walking with two individuals on a road to a nondescript town called Emmaus. 
Um, Jesus is not recognized by these two people. They were followers of Jesus. And so Jesus just comes alongside of them, but they don't recognize him for some reason. I don't know why. Who knows? But they're walking with their heads downcast because their Lord and Savior, whatever, had been crucified and they're upset. And Jesus just comes alongside and he says, what's up, bros? What's going on? They're like, are you an idiot? Have you not heard? They've crucified Jesus. And he's like, hmm. And he just kind of keeps walking. I don't know if that happened really, but he just, he keeps walking with them and he goes all the way with them as they're just so despondent. That God spoke in a garden that a, pro- a promise that a savior would come. He said it would come this way. And we, we, we thought it would be through a virgin birth and blah, blah, blah. And we saw this woman, Mary, who keeps telling everyone she was a virgin and her husband proves it to us. And, and this guy, Jesus, has been performing miracles all along. And we thought Jesus was our savior, but he's dead now. He's in a, a grave. In fact, here's the craziest thing about all of it, that someone came and stole his body out of the grave. Like, we can't find him. And Jesus is going, oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, I got something to show you in a minute. <laughs> and he, he walks with them all the way to Emmaus, and they ask him to stay for dinner. And Jesus does what I would do. I'm like, yeah, let's stay for dinner. And, and it says in this moment, let me read this for you. Um, yeah, I can't remember. 2431. Thank you. I'm a trained professional. It's fine. (laughs) It It says that when Jesus was at the table with them, so they're sitting down for dinner, it says he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to them. And it says right here, and then their eyes were opened. It's in this moment, Jesus, the Savior, the gift of God himself, as if he's been wrapped or cloaked, has somehow just miraculously been revealed to them. And then and only then can they receive Jesus, the gift. And so it has been my prayer as as I finish up, I want to close with this idea um, that humanity waited for a very long time for the gift to come. And after even the baby had been born for 30 some years, Mary and Joseph waited for him to do anything kind of miraculous or awesome. He just basically like every other kid got in trouble maybe, I don't know. And then all of a sudden he starts performing miracles and all of a sudden some strange things are happening. And all of a sudden the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day are paying attention. Then all of a sudden now Rome's involved in this. And all of a sudden their son is nailed to a cross. And I mean, they just waited around for this gift. And then for three days as he laid in a tomb, they waited and waited and waited But then on that Easter morning, on that third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. Here's what we need to know. Jesus has been raised from the dead eternally, forever and forever. He will always be resurrected. And through our faith in him alone, we too can overcome sin and death in the grave. Death has lost its sting, the Bible tells us. Like, I don't look forward to dying. I don't. I don't know anyone here that does. That's probably some form of mental illness. But we know this, that we have hope of something. It's eternal on the other side of this life. It's something that that almost returns us back to the garden where Adam and Eve once lived with God that we get to go back to that place where God would dwell and be with him forever and ever and ever, but only 
but only if you receive the gift that is Jesus, if you receive the sacrifice that is Jesus for your sins. So you can do one of two things. You can stand before God at the end of your days and you can say, I've been a good person. I'm gonna believe that God is gonna show love and compassion to me and I'll just prove to him how good I've been, right? Good luck with that, just so you know. Or you can stand before God with Jesus on your side saying, I've died for this one. I've rescued this one. I've absorbed his punishment. He's no longer to be left dead in a grave and he will raise you back to life. Oh my goodness. You see this? A gift is no good to us if it's left unwrapped or wrapped. It's no good to us if it's left unopened. God has given us his son, Jesus. I challenge you today, why wait any longer? Some of us are Christians in the room. Awesome. And some of you might be on the fringes. Maybe some of you think that um, because you attend church regularly or whatever it looks like that you somehow are a Christian and that you'll escape the punishment that is to come. I'm here to tell you, you won't. You won't. The only way that happens is through Jesus. And the only way to do that is to see the story that Luke has laid out for us. I just want to pray for us. This feels kind of heavy all of a sudden. Some of you know this story, but you forgot it. Some of you lost sight of what this gift really means for us. And in the hectic, crazy world of this Christmas season, you've misplaced the gift that God has given us. In Jesus' name, I pray that he would bring this gift to the forefront of everything we do. As I said earlier, every gift that is exchanged over the next few weeks will be a reminder of what God has done for you. If you haven't received this gift from God, if you haven't received Jesus into your heart, if you haven't received the gift of salvation, then I would just ask you to consider, what are you waiting for? You could just simply say, God, I've sinned against you. I've eaten of the tree that you forbid, right? Whatever this looks like, you know the things you do. I don't need to point them out. I can if you want to but I don't need to. (laughs) I know some of you. You can ask God for forgiveness. You can tell him you're sorry. You can do that. You can simply say, God, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for what I've done. And then then you could just see God push Jesus across the table and say, here, take this. And just receive the gift that is Jesus. God, I pray for us today that that we not lose sight on everything that you've done for us. That Jesus was not plan B, that he was there immediately when sin entered the garden, when sin came into the world. God, you promised him that he came and fulfilled everything that you asked of him and he has rescued us even from ourselves, Lord. I pray these next few moments 
that we be reminded of this great love that you've given to us and that we would declare this affection back towards you and appreciation back to you with our singing and our worship and our thinking about you. May our hands be raised in adoration and our our voices be raised in thankfulness. May we be a people who are not ungrateful for the gift of your son, your only son, the greatest cost, the greatest price to pay. So Lord, we, we ask that you be with us now. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.